What does the principle of Sola Scriptura actually mean? Does it mean anything today? Even in Reformed churches, does, what does it really mean? What happens to Christianity if Sola Scriptura is either abandoned or redefined in such a way as to nullify the principle itself? What happens? My name is Ed Dingus, and you're listening to The Reformed Rant, a podcast where I rant about the most important theological and social issues um, facing society from a Reformed perspective. Uh, and today I'm ranting about the practical abandonment of the Reformed and Biblical principle known as Sola Scriptura. Nick or Rick and then I am But this thing's going on Make me mad down to the core I have to work like a dog To make ends meet There's crooked politicians And crime in the street And I'm madder than hell And I ain't gonna take it no more We tell our kids Just say no And then some panty-waist judge Let's a drug dealer go He slaps him on the wrist And he turns it back out on the town but if I had my way with people selling dope I'd take a big tall tree and a short piece of rope I'd hang them up behind a little swing till the sun goes down Well, you know what's wrong with the world today People done gone, put their Bibles away They're living by the law of the jungle, not the law of the land Well, the good book says it, so I know it's well, The good book says it, so I know it's the truth. That's one of the most profound statements uh, appearing in just about any any country, any song, let alone uh, country song. But is this the attitude of the church? Is the Bible true because the Bible says it? Or is there some other standard to which we must apply in order to scrutinize the content of the Scripture. A recent conversation with some folks in SBC Facebook group about the principle of sola scriptura and essentially its practical denial, even by some folks who are purported to be Reformed. Now, I don't mean to insult anyone. This is uh, an intellectual conversation, so I'm going to make claims and statements and arguments uh, that are not emotive and that are not intended to insult or denigrate or straw man anyone's position. What I am attempting to do is bring this principle of sola scriptura 
place it right in front of you so that you understand the consequences of some of the things that you say and some of the things that you believe when it comes to the scriptures and how that some of the things that you believe when it comes to scripture and how people treat the scripture actually reveals whether or not you truly hold to the principle of sola scriptura. And what I would like for people to do is stop redefining everything and claiming to hold to the original uh, principle or, let's say, doctrine as it was as it has been historically understood. Because right now what you have is people who will claim that they believe X, but they really don't. What they do is they redefine every component in X that troubles them. And after redefining it, they still want to be able to say, well, you know, I still affirm X. I deny sola scriptura from a practical standpoint, but uh, once I redefine it, then... Or once I, uh, once I place it in different circumstances, um, uh, once I relativize it, then uh, I can still affirm it. Uh, we see this in a lot of areas. I see people who call themselves Calvinists who are really not Calvinists. I see people who claim to be Reformed. They're not Reformed. I see people who claim uh, to affirm the doctrine of original sin claim that they're not Pelagian, but they are, um, and people who claim to embrace Solar Scripture, but they don't. Um, one example, recent example, in a discussion on a Facebook group is the idea that you can reject what Matthew and Luke said about the birth of Jesus Christ and still be a Christian. Well, what Matthew and Luke said about Jesus Christ, uh, his birth specifically, uh, is pretty clear. It's pretty clear that Matthew and Luke claim that Jesus was born of a virgin, that his mother was a virgin and she gave birth to Christ. And the idea is that you can be a Christian and reject those records from Matthew and Luke. And my contention is that if you think that's true, that a genuine Christian can read Matthew and Luke's record regarding what essentially God is claiming to be true about the birth of Jesus Christ, uh, then you are rejecting Sola Scriptura. Because when God speaks, it is binding. Now, this is an area where the area of, of, of Sola Scriptura uh, where we see modern pastors, elders, and professors even in our seminaries fighting more passionately for the right of men to be wrong than for the binding nature of the Word of God. They are more interested in extending grace to someone who is not misunderstanding a very complicated text. That's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about a text that is really unclear using the kind of literary devices that make it very challenging to interpret. That's not what we're talking about. And that's not what the principle of Sola Scriptura is addressing either. We're talking about clear, 
texts of Scripture. Either Scripture is God speaking or it is not. This behavior from pastors, elders, and professors, this behavior alone speaks volumes about those who dare to take up the Holy Scriptures with a cavalier and kind of a laissez-faire attitude regarding the Word of God. And Scripture itself has something to say about people who do that. Solid believers have been busy opposing the creeping of liberalism into the churches for some time now. However, the problem with some of this opposition with how we oppose liberalism is that we are failing in many cases to deal with the real problem, the real problem behind the massive drift. And we have to do a better job identifying the problem behind the symptoms. Rejecting the virgin birth isn't the problem. It's a symptom of a problem. The denial of original sin is not the problem. It's a symptom of a problem. We have to begin to address the real problem. But oftentimes, addressing the real problem requires a great deal of courage because you have to risk sounding harsh and, 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 and certainly politi you know, politically incorrect uh, when it comes to some of these ideas. Um, nevertheless, a love for truth, a love for truth should be our guiding motivator, not the consideration of man. And I see the consideration of man displacing our love of truth over and over and over and over and over. Constantly. One of the biggest problems in our churches is how we view Scripture. This includes the nature of Scripture, which should also inform uh, our hermeneutics. And we're going to spend some time talking about that. This is related to the philosophical problem known as the problem of the criteria. If Scripture alone is not how we determine what is true, what is moral, and what is good belief formation, then what is the criteria or criterion? What is it? What are they? What is the correct criterion, method, or standard for picking out good beliefs versus bad beliefs? And this brings us to the question of the standard for belief formation, the principle known as sola scriptura. John Calvin wrote, When that which is set forth is acknowledged to be the word of God, there is no one so deplorably insolent, unless devoid of both common sense and humanity itself, as to dare impugn the credibility of him who speaks. But when... Someone says, I reject the claim of the Bible of the virgin birth, rather than us being abhorred by that idea, even from a baby Christian, even from someone new in the faith. We, rather than being abhorred and shocked and, and just finding this completely repulsive, we look for a way to smooth that over. We look for 
crutches and excuses. Well, they're new in the faith. Give them time, they'll come around. The Bible is clear that, that Jesus was born of a virgin. If you believe the Bible is God speaking, and you don't believe Jesus was born of a virgin, then you believe God is a liar, or you believe the Bible is not God speaking. Either way, solo scriptura is done. It's done. Would someone who loves God call God a liar? God speaking in his word. We'll, we'll come back to this. I don't know that I'll have time to get into the role of the Holy Spirit in the community of faith, but that's another issue uh, that's driving a lot of these issues, these symptoms. It's a problem. People's view of the work of the Holy Spirit his function and role in the church, uh, how they understand that is a huge uh, problem that leads to all these other symptoms that we have going on in the church. From the very beginning, the strategy of Satan, the, the strategy that Satan employed was to attack the authority and integrity of God's word. From the very beginning. So it should not surprise us that down to this very day, the ambassadors of Satan, his ministers, his agents are doing the same thing from, from a number of different vantage points and strategies and tactics. They will attack the word of God either directly or through hermeneutics, uh, importing philosophies, uh, you name it. To attack the authority of God and the integrity of God's word is to attack and oppose God himself. The strategy remains unchanged. One of the things that I find most fascinating today is the number of pastors, even reformed pastors, who attempt to soften the nature and seriousness of this attack. We treat it like it's not that big a deal. And it is. It's massive. The concern seems to be more for the comfort of men than it is for pleasing God. You cannot, out of one side of your mouth, thunder this, that Scripture is God speaking, and then out of the other side of your mouth, make excuses for those who refuse to acknowledge the binding and authoritative nat nature of Scripture or God speaking. You can't do both. Believers are obligated to believe Scripture. Because it is God speaking. We do not need any more justification to believe Scripture than that. Now, did I just poison the well? I'll say this. If the well is the well of autonomous human reason, that well was poisoned a long time ago, back in the garden. And if that is the well that you wish to drink from, you are doomed before you even get started in this conversation. If that's your guiding principle, autonomous human reason, if that's what you're going to use to judge and measure, the conversation's over before it even gets started and there is a judgment that's coming to your house sooner or later. The Christian submits their reason humbly to the authority 
of God speaking in Scripture. Now, sola scriptura is a Latin phrase that means Scripture alone. That expresses the Reformed doctrine that the Bible is the sole and sufficient authority by which all matters of faith and practice may be settled. The corollary of this position is that nothing but what is established by the clear authority of Scripture can bind the conscience of the Scripture. But what this also means is that Scripture most definitely binds the believer's conscience, not merely because of what it says, but because of the one who's saying it. Because of the one who's saying it. We like to, we, what I've seen in some people is that they like to shift and say, well, the Scripture's authoritative when it speaks on the fundamentals. That's you. That's your criteria. That's human reason. If God said it, we can look at the Scripture and go, yeah, this is, what it's, this is pretty clear. You're obligated to believe it. No one needs to prove it to you. It's true because God said it. And it is, God doesn't speak in layers of authority. If God said it, it's authoritative. It's binding. We are obligated to believe it, confess it, embrace it, and live it. And anyone... And any time a person refuses to respond to the Word of God that way, it's a red flag regarding their faith. And that's how we should see it. It should cause us to step back and examine that person's faith. If they're a brand new Christian, well, this is where discipleship comes into play. But there's the role and work of the Holy Spirit in a brand new Christian's life that will compel them to embrace the truth revealed in God's Word. If there's nothing compelling them to accept the things taught in Scripture as being binding and authoritative and sufficient, the revelation of God, something is wrong with their faith. The Holy Spirit does not give you the gift of faith and regenerate your heart and mind only to leave you wallowing in ignorance and rebellion, rejecting 90% of what he says or even 10% of what he says. That's not how Christianity works. We aren't in charge. God is in charge. Why is the principle of solo scriptura important? Why is it such a big deal? Sola Scriptura is fundamental to Christianity. It anchors human knowledge. If it is true that knowledge is just justified true belief, then forming beliefs that are justified is the sine qua non of human knowledge. Now, how are such beliefs formed? Some beliefs are self-justified. Justification attaches to them independent from any other beliefs. I exist as a belief that is basic. It's a self-justified belief. It requires no other belief or evidence for rational justification. To deny the belief I exist requires a contradiction. Why? Well, I have to exist in order to deny that I exist. It's a self-refuting statement. So you cannot truly 
have such a belief without denying the belief itself. You cannot form the belief that I, I don't actually exist because it's self-refuting. You cannot form it unless you do exist. Other beliefs are based on more basic beliefs. These beliefs require evidence. This points to the question of proper belief-forming principles. And this raises the question, what is the criterion or criteria that governs how beliefs ought to be formed? Who says beliefs ought to be formed this way or that way? If the goal is to identify propositions that possess truth-bearing properties that rise to the level of true knowledge, then we have to have some kind of standard. Without a standard, anything goes. All claims to knowledge are equal. This means that two contradictory claims to knowledge could both be true. Got news for you, that's textbook irrationalism. This raises the question, what is the standard for human knowledge? Cornelius Van Til says this, other Protestants contend that there must be a specifically Protestant defense of all Christian doctrine. Their argument is that all Christian doctrines are interdependent. Each major doctrine implies all of the others and colors all of the others. Now, many pastors and therefore many Christians fail to appreciate and consider what Van Til points out here. The Christian system is one unified, coherent system that must be accepted or rejected as a whole on the level of worldview. If the final authority for, for what rises to the level of knowledge is not God speaking in Scripture, then it is man speaking from his own finite, fallen, autonomous reasoning. And since such a position cuts off knowledge at its source, God is the source. It can be said to be irrational at its most fundamental level. Van Til goes on and says, As self-explanatory, as self-explanatory, God naturally speaks with absolute authority. It is Christ, as God, who speaks in the Bible. Therefore, the Bible does not appeal to human reason as ultimate in order to justify what it says. It comes to the human being with absolute authority, so says Cornelius Van Til. If you're interested in the book that uh, this information is found all over Van Til's writings, but this particular quote comes from A Christian Theory of Knowledge. God belief is both self-justifying as well as self-explanatory. It is one thing to ask what the text is saying. It is another to question whether or not the text is true after one has understood what it is saying. If it is the case that men can subject Scripture to human reason for such testing, that is, subjecting Scripture to criteria that is external to Scripture, then it is the case that sola scriptura is false. This is because whatever that standard and criteria is that is being used to judge the integrity of Scripture, it becomes the final authority rather than Scripture. Such an approach is distinctly non-Christian in nature. It's rationalism, and it's fallen, sinful, pagan at its core. Misunderstanding Scripture is the very basis for error and false claims to knowledge. That's how powerful Scripture is. Jesus answered and said to them, Matthew 22, 29, You are mistaken. Why? Not understanding the Scripture nor the power of God. 
Two things here lead to error. Not understanding the scripture and not understanding the power of God. That understanding the power of God relates to the activity of the work of the Holy Spirit in the human person through regeneration, opening the eyes, opening the understanding, opening the heart. And the Jewish leaders of Jesus' day did not have that. And as a result of that, they were wrong because that leads to a misunderstanding of Scripture and that leads to lack of knowledge. What is the greatest threat to Sola Scriptura? Fallen human reason is the greatest threat to Sola Scriptura. Genesis 3, 5, For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. This is the most attractive prize that human beings have ever been tempted to pursue. Van Til says, What is meant by the idea of truth is found in Scripture, as found in Scripture does not, as noted, mean a logically penetrable system. God alone knows himself and all the things of the created universe exhaustively. Human reason is finite. Human reason cannot plumb the depths of the mystery of the revelation of God. There are things in the revelation of God that exceed the limits of human reason. Genuine biblical faith accepts those truths even when human reason cannot reconcile them, synthesize them, harmonize them in a way that satisfies the human mind. Trust that the revelation is true and that God speaks the truth and that Scripture is authoritative. This is where trust comes into play. The secret things belong to the Lord. If you were to listen to some modern professing Christians, there are no secret things. This idea is incredibly offensive to natural man and natural man's demand that all things surrounding any truth claim be subject to human knowledge, logic. The perspective, this perspective, restricts Christianity to a natural view grounded in rationalism. Van Til said in another place, God reveals himself to man according to man's ability to receive his revelation. All revelation is anthropomorphic. Actually, I had somebody uh, post something on Facebook this morning who talked about uh, uh, that the, basically the implication is that, that the Bible is not anthropomorphic. This is an absolute ignorant individual who hasn't a clue where theological study is concerned. But this person has a view of God that, in his mind, has to be the case. And anything that contradicts that view, whether it's scripture or long-held beliefs in the Christian church, gets completely dismissed at the wave of his magic wand. And the reason that people do this is because there is no genuine faith residing in them. The Holy Spirit has not implanted faith in these people and opened their eyes to the gospel of Jesus Christ and to the truth revealed in Scripture. And we can see it when we start talking about things like this. This is a critical component of Christian epistemology. Christianity is a supernatural religion, revealing a supernatural God to people who are what they are, 
by a supernatural work of God, the Holy Spirit. If these things are dismissed and depreciated in any way, folks, Christianity, as revealed in the Bible, comes under serious threat. If you deny the supernatural element in Christianity, that's to say, metaphysically speaking, you see interest into Christianity the same way you see it in any other religion, then you have a flawed understanding of of Christianity. Is there a name for these tactics and this kind of thinking? Yeah, in philosophy, it's called postmodernism. Today, however, most philosophers on lo- are um, on longer even regard, uh, no longer even regard mathematics as a body of truth. Did you know that the dominant philosophy of mathematics treats it as a social construct, like the game of baseball? Three strikes and you're out is an arbitrary rule. It's not true or false. It's just the way we choose to play the game. By the same token, mathematical rules are regarded as just the way we play the game. This kind of thinking, cleverly disguised and cloaked, has made its, made its way into the church. And, and we are endowing young men with papers in our seminaries who believe this way, who think this way. And we're going to place them over God's sheep. Nothing is more irresponsible than that. Postmodern thinking leads to fluidity in all things because all things are nothing more than arbitrary social constructs put in place in order for us to play the game. It follows that as the culture goes, so goes many of the churches. How does this show up in the area of biblical authority? Well, the Bible, number one, is a mixture of social constructs from antiquity and, and true words from God. The problem is in postmodernism, even the true words from God in Scripture are perverted by the influence of social constructs on our hermeneutic. Now we have a real problem, just a real quagmire here. It's, 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 it's a serious issue. Uh, people can, are basically able to do with Scripture whatever they want to at this point. When we exchange the binding nature of Scripture from the fact that it is God speaking to what it is God is speaking, we impose a rule on Scripture that is external to Scripture. God never binds or never bases his authority on what he said. God never bases his authority on what he said. It is always based on one thing and one thing only. God himself said it. It isn't what God said that is authoritative. Let's say it this way. The reason, scripture is an author- the reason Scripture is authoritative is not because uh, that God said this particular thing of what God said. The reason Scripture is authoritative is because it is God speaking, period. So then we ask this question, can biblical Christianity survive without sola scriptura? There's a short answer to this. And it's no. There is no such thing as biblical Christianity apart from sola scriptura. Christianity no longer exists. It's a different religion. Christianity must be taken in the sense of worldview. If sola scriptura is destroyed, then the Christian worldview, as it is revealed in the text of scripture, is completely destroyed as well. In his excellent work, Institutes of Elenctic Theology, we see... This quote, yet even among Christians of this age, and this is uh, Francis Turton, by the way, even among Christians of this age, 
There are too many atheists and libertines who endeavor in every way to weaken this most sacred truth. Therefore, it is of the greatest importance to our salvation that our faith should be in good time fortified against the diabolical cavils of these impious persons. Christianity transcends humanity and places unavoidable and necessary obligations on humans regarding both their beliefs and practices. These things are not up for debate. They're not up for negotiation. It is authoritative in in all that it teaches. You will accept Jesus Christ or else. You will believe the gospel or else. You will walk in the fear of God or else. You will obey his commandments or else. There is no room to agree or disagree with Christianity. You will agree with it or there will be, literally, hell to pay. If solo scriptura is dead, Christianity cannot long survive its demise. German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche wrote this, God is dead. God remains dead. We have killed him. How shall we comfort ourselves, the murderers of all murderers? What was holiest and mightiest of all that the world has yet owned has bled to death under our knives. Who will wipe this blood off us? What water is there for us to clean clean ourselves? What festivals of atonement, what sacred games shall we have to invent? Is not the greatness of this deed too great for us? Must we ourselves not become gods simply to appear worthy, appear worthy of it? It was also Nietzsche who said, If God is dead, someone will have to take his place. And that someone is man. The famous German monk, Martin Luther, wrote, It will not do to pluck from Scripture a few words and treat them like a nose of wax that may be formed and turned to suit your fancy without regard for the connection of the words and their scope. Sola Scriptura is under threat by pagan philosophies that place all authority within the realm of autonomous human reason. Second, Sola Scriptura is threatened by modern Christians who, through their wax-nosed method of hermeneutics, so twist and pervert the meaning of Scripture that they stand on the same ground as pagan philosophers without realizing it. At least the philosophers are sharp enough to know where they stand. These modern Christians are so dense and dim-witted, they have no clue, no clue, that they're agreeing with the most brazen atheists on the planet who have hated God for centuries. They're clueless. Tolerance of this behavior virtually guarantees the demise of the principal solo scriptura. Now I'm talking to the Reformed pastors, the godly pastors, the biblical pastors. When we reach the end of it all, Christianity collapses. If Christianity is anything at all, it is an intolerant religion. When Christianity becomes a tolerant religion, considering the feelings, the whims, the desires of man, rather than, rather than the purity and the holiness of God, it ceases to be Christianity. This is where we are today, and it's due to the abandonment of sola scriptura.
I'll leave you with this. Peter, in his, in his second epistle, chapter 3, said this, And regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote you. As also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and the unstable distort, as they do also the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. Where's Peter's loyalty here? Ask yourself that question, Pastor. When he's addressing people who are untaught and unstable, is his loyalty to them? Is he doing his best to extend all kinds of grace to them? All this patience to them? Or is his loyalty to God? He says that people do this to their own destruction. That is extending grace to them because it's telling them the truth. Modern, the modern idea of extending grace is really reducing the standards, lowering the standards. That's not extending grace, but that's what we're doing. We try to be understanding of people who would reject a literal physical resurrection of Christ because their modern mind just can't get their head around it, even though they're going to church and claim to love Jesus. Same thing for the virgin birth. Same thing for those people who just can't accept the idea that the Bible damns homosexuality and sees it as perverse sexual behavior. No, no, no. Uh, that, you know, that part of the Bible was a social construct from that time. It was influenced by social conditioning and, and their own values at the time. It's not really what God thinks about homosexuality. And we think we should be patient with this kind of behavior. We think if that, if, that if, we, if we meet it head on, like Peter's doing here, and like Paul done throughout all of his writings, we think that we're being unloving and unkind and not patient and not gracious. Folks, these terms have been emptied of their biblical content and we've poured in modern, pagan, Western, American definitions into these terms. So much so that they've become absolutely unintelligible. And we have to stop that. May God take His Word and change and transform our thinking and as a result of that, change and transform our lives. Amen. Uncle Christianity's Marketplace of Ideas. BibleThumpingWingnut.com